G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, Turn to him the other we are also. now into the second half of if Luke chapter you 6, coat, from verse 27 from on taking to your verse tunic. 49. Give We're continuing to talking about the new you, way of Jesus. And if anyone takes now, what kingdom belongs ethics to you, do not demand it back. Luke's Sermon on the Plain if you continues. Love those who love you, We're going to read those verses now. If sinners love those who love them... And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and do not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you in a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good store up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say I will show you what it he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice he is like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid the foundations on rock. 
When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was built well. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is a shorter version of Matthew's sermon, but it still contains no less than 22 separate points. We'll look at them in groups. The first group of four statements is about loving your enemies in verses 27 and 28. I will read those verses. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. It's easy to miss some of the practical implications of these statements. They mean, for instance, that a Christian will never refuse to speak to someone, whatever they may have said or done, and it will affect our behaviour towards someone who wants the same job as we do. First question then, what effect will it have on us if we force ourselves to speak kindly in those sorts of situations? Where else can you think of where obeying Jesus might have some positive results in our everyday and family life? And I pause for you to think about that. Even if we have to force ourselves to speak well in that sort of situation, doing so will have a good effect on our underlying attitudes towards that person. If we fall out with someone at work, we must be careful to greet them in exactly our usual cheerful way the next morning. They will find it very hard to respond in anything other than the same way. It is hard to obey Jesus when the inevitable problems of family life occur. Are you the person who is always the first to try and mend a damaged relationship? And now the second group of four statements about not standing up for our rights. Verses 29 to 31. I read it. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Is it really possible to act like this in the real world? What happens if someone takes my bicycle? Do I give them my motorbike? Perhaps Jesus is making one of his outrageously impossible statements, like camels going through the eyes of needles, plucking out our eyes if they offend us, and so on. He might be doing that so that we remember better the principle behind what he said. Total obedience to what Jesus taught here would rapidly lead us to having no money at all. So there is a wee bit of a difficulty here. Question two. What should we do in the practical things of every day to put the principle behind these statements into practice? I think the only possible answer to this is to say that we have to be careful not to put ourselves first in what we do, put others in front of ourselves. 
It is, of course, a great deal easier to say that than to actually do it in the real world we live in. It is also, of course, a great deal easier to hear it said and mentally agree than to go out and do it. third group of four statements is about doing better than expected. Verses 32 down to halfway through verse 35. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Probably lending in that culture, as in many, was a nice way of talking about giving somebody something. Question 3. Should we ever lend like that without expectation of a return? Shouldn't we call it what it is from the beginning, if that is what we intend, rather than using such double talk? Not all the things our culture wants us to do are necessarily what we should do as followers of Jesus. In some cultures it's more important to say something that pleases the person we are talking to than to tell the truth. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. That means we must be in all things as truthful as we can possibly be, even if that is against our culture and traditions. Fourth, one statement, the results of this behaviour, in the second half of verse 35 and verse 36. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We will probably see that we will have all sorts of problems in living up to what Jesus said. It is so difficult to obey what he said and still live life in the real world. Perhaps it's impossible but Jesus was probably doing this deliberately to make us see that we can never in ourselves be good enough to appear before the Lord God. We can only rely on his mercy and goodness consequent on the self-sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our acceptance. Question 4. Why does Jesus call us sons or children in this context? This is to emphasize that we are in a personal relationship with Father God. And that again can only be through the acceptance that Jesus obtained for us by his death on the cross. When we call God our Father, that means we accept all our fellow Christians as our brothers and sisters. And the fifth group of statements, four of them. What we give will be what we get verses 37 and 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, 
and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The first sentence in verse 37 is sometimes used to suggest that we should never judge anything or anybody at all. But of course we do. If we didn't, how could we ever correct anyone, and life in and out of the church would be impossibly difficult? Question 5. How should we understand that verse, verse 37, in such a way as to be realistic and yet follow Jesus properly? Matthew adds to that statement, In the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's his chapter 7 and verse 2. If we are prepared to face the truth and be judged by it, we may make other people face the truth. If we're not prepared to do that, we may not judge other people. These two verses could be taken to mean simply the better you are, the better your life will be. But life is never as easy as that, as you can read in Psalm 73. The psalmist says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they're free from the burdens common to man, they're not plagued by human ills. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure, in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. For question six then, I will ask, how do we understand what Jesus meant? Some people teach a false gospel which promises obvious material blessing to the believer. This is clearly not the way the kingdom in the world works, as that Psalm 73 points out. The book of Job says much the same. What we are promised is reward for faithfulness in the day of the Lord when the world comes to an end. We are to look to our own reward and not make judgments on what should happen to other people. We continue then with the sixth group of four small parables in verses 39 to 45 about how to live for the kingdom. Here they are. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. The parables of the blind, the student, and the plank, all in different ways, emphasize that we need to be walking in the way of Jesus if we want to be good and do things that matter in the kingdom of the Spirit. We need to be able to see, to be properly trained, and not be blinded by things that should not be there. Then the parable of the good tree emphasizes that we need to be the right sort of tree. Being a better thorn bush will not lead to fruit, just bigger thorns. Question 7 then. How can we tell whether someone or ourselves is the right sort of tree? When we set out to follow Jesus, we are told that we will be saved at the final day. But we are also told that account will be taken of the whole of our lives as followers. Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says, We will all stand before God's judgment seat. And in verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And in 2 Corinthians and chapter 5 and verse 10, we read, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It is hard to see how these two teachings, that we are completely saved in the death of Jesus, and that we still have work to do, fit together. It is best to take them both as the Lord's word to us, and strive to live in the light of both of them. Our seventh group is just one major parable, which is the summary of this whole section. Verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Luke's version of this story is slightly different from Matthew's, perhaps more familiar one. It is often called the parable of the wise and foolish builders. That is a good title for the parable in Matthew. It's not so good for this one of Luke's. So question eight has to be, what title would more accurately summarise this parable? Uh, the word foundation is the most important one in this parable. It ties this parable to many other biblical verses. Perhaps the most significant is Isaiah 28:16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. That refers to the temple. But it's used by Peter in his first letter, chapter 2 and verse 6, where he says, For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And Peter is talking about Jesus there. In Peter's little picture, Jesus is the all-important foundation. Peter, like Jesus, emphasizes that we are to do the building. That is a long chapter, a long passage, and a long argument. If you're still listening to this and answering the questions, well done. May the Lord bless you. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.